Baristas at Compass Coffee definitely kept the caffeine, cappuccinos, and cold brews flowing this week. But their paychecks, well, those froze after the local startup's bank, Silicon Valley Bank, failed on Friday, March 10th. And it wasn't just the paychecks. All of the company's deposits in the now-closed bank were locked. A spokesman for the D.C. coffeehouse says all the employees got their paychecks by the next Monday morning after they switched banks and got all their money back. That falls in line with President Joe Biden's promise to everyone that if you saved and deposited money in Silicon Valley Bank, you'd get it all back, no matter what. All customers who had deposits in these banks can rest assured, I want to rest assured they'll be protected and they'll have access to their money as of today. No harm, no foul, right? Well, not exactly. This bank failure sent ripples through the financial markets and system, which was already teetering on the edge of recession. This bank failure was the biggest since the 2008 financial crisis. So what does it mean? Are we destined for a capital R recession? Or is this bank failure contained? In other words, should those baristas I talked to at Compass Coffee this week have confidence that their paychecks will keep flowing? Big questions, I know, and they're likely impossible to answer perfectly. But we're going to try with the help of WTOP financial contributor Barry Glassman, president of Glassman Wealth Services. Welcome to the DMV Download Podcast. On the show today is Barry. Barry, thanks so much for being here. It's been a crazy past 72, 96 hours. Oh, sure has, sure has. And I wish you would have me on when things are going really well, as opposed to <laughs> when you know, stuff's hitting the fan and the government needs to intervene. But uh, I'm grateful to be here and uh, speak with you and educate listeners. Yeah, you know, before we jumped on this call, you said, you know, you barely slept at all this weekend. You know, to start, tell us what happened with Silicon Valley Bank. And before we get to what happened, what is this now famous, infamous Silicon Valley Bank? What, what kind of bank is it? Is it like a Wells Fargo, Bank of America? How do we think about this? Well, it's smaller than Wells Fargo and Bank of America, but it's not very much unlike most other banks. I'll get to the nuance of what was basically two things that were a bit different about Silicon Valley Bank. But it really could have been any bank. Uh, that takes deposits, and with those deposits, they invest them either in uh, companies as loans or homes as loans, or they park them in safer securities like treasuries and commercial paper, short-term or longer-term kind of high-quality instruments. Uh, so really, they they weren't unlike most other banks when you looked at them from the outside. Mm. And that's probably why it freaks so many people out. It is. The other thing that, and I can't use that term, but the reason why it concerned a lot of people in, in looking backward is, is how many um, very well-respected men and women and boards and uh, venture capitalists and so forth uh, had such large sums there. I don't mm. want to equate it to Madoff because it's completely different, but the list of respected names who were on the list who uh, had money there was, was really exceptional. Let's just talk about the two things that were a bit different or a bit outside the norm from a regional bank, forgetting the Wells Fargo and Bank of America for a moment. Number one was with their deposits, they may have owned very high quality instruments, but they were a bit longer term. 
they, uh, they took a bit of what's called the interest rate risk. So if interest rates went up, they might lose money on those instruments. So even if they invested all of their money into U.S. Treasuries, with interest rates soaring so much over the last year, they lost some money on that. Okay, so that was a concern. The second thing that really happened was FDIC. We've heard of FDIC, and now most people know about the FDIC's limit, which is 250000 per account. Mm-hmm. Okay, Luke, you can have one. A spouse can have one. You can have one jointly, that kind of thing. The percentage of assets that were in excess of that 250000 was enormous. Mm. It was over 80% of their deposits. Wow. Wasn't insured, weren't, they weren't insured by FDIC. If you look at some of the other regional banks and even some of the national banks, those numbers are in the teens. Wow. So the sheer number of deposits that were uninsured and the fact that they had to basically raise capital because uh, it's a long story and a, a domino effect, but they had to raise money in order to uh, fund their obligations. And then we'll get to what happened, which, which is new, which is social media. Mm. And so just to um, kind of make sure I'm understanding this, this bank was for high rollers. You know, a lot of these people, 80%, you said, had more than $250,000 in the bank. And before we get to, you know, the social media aspect, I guess this is kind of linked. You know, Silicon Valley Bank, the name itself kind of screams tech, screams, you know, modern, risky investments. Is that a correct take on this? No. No, and it's not. Uh, I forget the term you just used. Uh, it wasn't the uh, the big the big heavy hitters and so forth. Uh, these are new businesses. Mm. These are entrepreneurs. So startups. So locally here in the DC area, Compass Coffee had their money there because right. they're a growing concern and such. It, it was a lot of newer, growing businesses that happened to just park their money there mm. uh, because others in that realm happened to park there. So it wasn't necessarily just heavy hitters. It was. It was more of entrepreneurs, and some of them happen to have millions or hundreds of millions parked at that bank. Got it. Um, so let's move to that social media aspect. I'm, I'm kind of curious how this all plays into this financial kind of shaking. Sure. Well, you would ask, you know, is this leading up to the financial crisis? Is this an 08 situation? Well, in 08, remember, when a bank has deposits, they invest them in something. In 08, they invested them those deposits in a lot of things that weren't anywhere close to what they were valued at. And then suddenly they were really marked down and some of them to zero Mm. very quickly. In Silicon Valley and other banks, they're investing it in much higher quality things. So that's not the case. Um, So this is new. What else is new is the idea that basically with social media, whether it be Twitter um, or even Telegram and Signal groups, together of entrepreneurs who last a week ago basically told their cohorts, get your money out of Silicon Valley Bank. And uh, because of the larger sums involved, they started pulling money out. They needed to raise capital. That created more fear. Suddenly it became public. And Thursday, I think there were larger withdrawals than ever in the history of a bank, tens of billions of dollars. And, And that's what caused a run on the bank which used to be a run on the bank, meaning you used to run to the bank. Physically run, right. <laughs> uh, physically run, line up in line, and, and look to uh, get your money out. Um, Luke, how easy is it to move money now? Oh, man. I mean, I just do it on my app, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's how yeah. I do it. So the combination of social media, and I'm including some of these chat channels as well as social media. Social media 
combined with the ease of moving your tens of millions of dollars yeah. within minutes, including if you wanted to open up a new account at a new bank and wire the funds, I think it's probably less than 10 minutes that you could do that. And that's new today that really didn't exist as much in 07 and 08. And that's what happened on Thursday, Friday. And what I feared over the weekend, that even, even secure banks, if the Twitter sphere created fe- enough fear and people were moving money out of just regional banks, going to the big names, that it really could create havoc. And so, you know, this run on the bank is almost like a dated term now. It's almost like a Zoom or like a virtual sprint or something like that. Yeah. Now, keep this in mind. As far as Silicon Valley Bank, we need to separate the depositors from the investors in the bank itself. Mm. Okay. So let's say, Luke, you own a business. We're going to call it a, I don't know, a yogurt shop. Cool. We'll just call it a yogurt shop. And you happen to have your money at Silicon Valley Bank you for, to pay payroll to do all of those different things. When the bank was uh, taken over by the FDIC, you no longer had access to your money on Friday. And that was an enormous concern. And different com- a bunch of companies missed payroll right. on Friday and didn't know when they could pay their employees. That's a really big deal. Mm. So you as a yogurt, you are scrambling, trying to figure out how do I pay my workers? How do I pay my bills? You called your suppliers saying, I can't pay you right now. My money is locked up in in, uh, Silicon Valley Bank. Now, your deposits were there. And chances are, even if the bank was terrible at what they did, you'd likely receive at least 90 to 95% of your deposits or probably close to 100 and if your balance was less than 250, you're guaranteed to get 100% of your money back. And the FDIC knew that over the weekend. They did the math and they looked at, okay, Luke's shop and others like, and even the big names, chances are they're going to get all of their money back. Can we go ahead and just promise that they can have access to their money on Monday mm. and let them go ahead and let this not ripple through the economy? Right. And that's what they announced Sunday evening. That, Luke, you're a depositor at Silicon Valley Bank. You can have access to your money on Monday. And it didn't matter if you had $200,000 or $200 million, You had access to your money on Monday. And that's really what President Biden underscored you know, before markets opened on Monday to really try to you know, cool things off. Because it's possible for these ripple effects to spread. Is, is that right? Like there was a risk you know, over the weekend. Well, there was a risk that, that fear would spread. The idea that we now have a precedent, and and I don't know how much we can apply this to the future, but if a bank failed, that FDIC came in and pretty quickly, it didn't take weeks and months, pretty quickly assured everyone that they have access to their deposits. Right. Now, let's, let's look at the converse, which is anyone who owns stock or equity in Silicon Valley Bank, meaning they invested in the bank's success in the future, mm. they're wiped out. That's worth zero. Nothing. Okay, zero. So that that's gone. Now, if you are a bondholder, meaning you lent money to the institution, there might be something there. So, for example, they happen to have um, a pretty sizable investment unit, uh, similar to my firm, in that they advise individuals and so forth. And the, they happen to own some other things that actually are worth something. Mm. Um, and they're now trying to auction off their hosting an auction or two, likely this week whether it be for a bundle or in pieces. So there'll be some money there to not only 
offset the loss on deposits if there is one. So, you know, there shouldn't be a cost to the FDIC, but then there may be money left over. So the bondholders, instead of getting a hundred dollars back, I don't know, maybe they get 15, 10, 30, five. There, there'll be, there may be something there for them. It may not be worth zero, but the equity side is completely wiped out. So what we're talking about isn't rescuing the bank. It was jumping in to assure the depositors that we're going to get most of their money anyway, that you have access to the money sooner. Mm. Now, you know, during President Biden's speech on Monday morning, he said that taxpayers wouldn't be bailing these banks out. I understand what that means, but can we go a little bit deeper there? Who's going to be paying for these depositors' money? Well, technically, it's not a bailout of this bank. Chances are the depositors were going to get this money and the equity, meaning the stock owners of the company, they're, they're wiped out. Whereas the bailouts that happened in 08, the government helped transition firms. They actually bought these firms and then brought them public. I'm thinking AIG, those mm. kinds of things, where they actually bought the stock of it and then brought it public again. It's not a bailout in that sense. But by stepping in in this way, it kind of is bailing out all of the other institutions that if they didn't do this, chances are there'd be another half dozen banks that would have had a run on their banks and, and the deposits and may have, in fact, failed. So wow. there, there is technically a bailout of those firms. The question is, what will it cost the government? And it shouldn't actually cost the government all that much when it comes to providing the depositors with their money back sooner. We'll be right back. We've been talking about this ripple effect and kind of this effort by the government to kind of contain, you know, this failure and keep it from spreading to other places. Um, The method being fear, you know, fear spreading throughout the economy. You know, we all know that it's kind of all connected, including our own individual, you know, financial interests. How should people be thinking about this? Obviously, everyone's individual financial situation is different. But is this a point at which we should be, you know, calling our advisors, you know, thinking, watching? Uh, how would you define this moment? Apologies, yeah. that's a big question. No, no, it is a big question. And, and we really don't have a great answer. What we got was on Sunday, a precedent that the FDIC said we took over a bank and within 24 hours of business hours that depositors have access to their, fully have access to their funds, including beyond the $250,000 limit. You then had President Biden say at nine o'clock on Monday, and I wrote it down, your deposits will be there when you need them. And that was very reassuring as well. Right. What we don't know is how. FDIC has not raised their limit above 250,000. Treasury hasn't said, and the Fed hasn't, no no one from the government has come up with a a figure Mm. that's covered beyond the $250,000 limit. Now, we're taking what FDIC did and the president said as we don't have to take money out of our regional bank. We did not see a run, breathe this huge, the whole market, I breathe this huge sigh of relief. (laughs) Banks got hit hard, uh, certainly their stocks did, and they're recovering so far. But we don't have, we don't have the exact figures, the who, the high, and the what Mm. that back up your deposits will be there when you need it. 
Mm. And that's what that's what we're waiting for. I'm sure there'll be further guidance as far as what that means, but we don't have it yet. Mm. As far as what listeners should do, we should assume that the limit is still $250,000. That if you have less than that in a bank, you're just fine. Right. You don't need to move mm. at all. And even if FDIC didn't come through on Sunday night, depositors with less than $250,000 they were going to have access to their money Monday anyway. You are just fine. Right. For those who have more than that, you really need to be cautious and question what's actually in place that we can count on. Mm. Um, so there's a big sigh of relief. You don't have to run and run. You don't have to you know, Click. jump online and move all your <laughs> yeah. cash and separate it among banks. What I would advise if somebody has a real a business or somebody has a sizable sum in a bank, and it's a larger bank, talk to your banker. And even if you have 3 million, 20 million at the bank, there's a way at that bank for that bank to enter a program so that it's uh, divided among 20, 30, 50 banks or something like that, so that your $10 million is protected mm. by FDIC. Even though it's through this one bank, they happen to be parsing it out among the other banks with daily sweeps and things. And so that it is FDIC protected. Mm. But if there if there are worries or things that mechanics that should be done, it's probably for those larger sums of the tens of millions of dollars, the people who need to be aware of this and and make some moves. Mm. And to you know close out here, I need to bring up the R word. You know, recession. It's something that I feel like has been in the conversation for at least a year, maybe even more. Is it going to happen? How bad is it going to be? Capital R recession, lowercase R recession. Inflation is a part of that. How does this Silicon Valley bank failure impact the possibility of a recession? So I've, I'm, I'm going to take both sides here, but you know, the, before Silicon Valley Bank, I, I was more of the mindset that we, we will likely see a recession. I mean, a recession is a technical term of the economy is shrinking year over year in two calendar quarters. We came out of a lockdown so that the economy soared. We did everything that we wanted to travel, bought all, all of those things. We got out of the house. Mm. The idea that a year later, that things might slow a bit at all, it, it was likely going to happen. And you combine that with the Fed raising interest rates and slowing down housing and, and borrowing and, and risk on behalf of businesses and things, chances are we were going to see a recession. And the chances are pretty, pretty, still pretty good that we will. What's fascinating with this is uh, the concern about uh, traditional banking may in fact cause the Federal Reserve to slow down their interest rate increases um, even as quickly as or as soon as next week. Uh, oh. They're set to meet in, in late March. You can actually see online or you can see the figures and see what's priced in as far as the chances of them increasing by this amount or this. And what happened yesterday was there was an even split go well, last week, even split last week between an increase of 0.25% and a half a percent. Hmm. And as of yesterday, that dropped to the point where there was a greater than 50-50 chance that they wouldn't raise interest rates at all, that they would be so concerned about what's going on in the banking world that they would fear that what they did in the interest rate market broke this bank and they need to slow down or pause. And them pausing 
actually helps the economy. Them pausing is actually going to help the economy. And that's that's the way all those puzzle pieces fit together. So it almost has a balancing effect on the other side of the scale of inflation, right? Inflation's on this side, encouraging the Fed to raise interest rates to slow down the economy. But this bank failure phenomenon might balance that out? Is that kind of a layman's way of thinking about it? It is. I mean, remember that that the, the Fed is raising interest rates, and, and they don't say this, but oftentimes they'll raise interest rates until something breaks, um, whether it be housing, whether it be the tech market, whether it be they, they raise rates until something slows down enough or something cracks, and then they'll start to lower. I don't know if this is that, but when you think about business owners making decisions. You know, they, certainly, if you're going to borrow at 1%, you may take more risk to do various things or buy other things or open up a new location. Right. At interest rates at 5 6 and 7 you might pause. A bank failure like this and not having access to your funds, and so it, does it cause business owners to just pause for a moment or perhaps to take a little bit less risk? Probably. Hmm. Does that slow down the economy a bit? Yes enough that the Fed pauses? I'm not sure. Mm. I'd still, it, today, I would still count on the Fed doing a little bit next week and not stopping altogether. But uh, I've been surprised many times during the past 12 months. Mm. So I may be surprised next week. Well, Barry, thank you so much for you know connecting all these dots, the financial and money world. There's so many inputs, you know, and the output, a lot of people just care about us, you know, what's my financial reality and all that. But this understanding really helps us to get that output we we want, you know, personally. So thank you so much for, you know, making the time and helping us think about this moment properly. Sure. My pleasure. Good to be on with you. Thanks, Barry. And that'll do it for us today on the DMV Download Podcast. If you like the show and have thoughts, let us know. Rate and review it on your favorite podcast platform. You can also find out more about this show on social media and dmvdownload.com. The DMV Download Podcast is brought to you by WTOP News. Listen on 103.5 FM in the D.C. area, 107.7 FM in Virginia, and 103.9 FM in Frederick, Maryland. Online at WTOP.com. We have a new website, by the way. Looks really sharp. And, of course, on the WTOP News app. Have a great week. We'll talk next Wednesday.